Good morning, church family. Good morning. I am Constance Urbans, Director of Communication and Administrative Services here at Newcom. And it's really good to see you today. It's really good to be with you. And I don't know what your week consisted of. I don't know what it took for you to get here, even what this last year has looked like for you that led to this moment, but I'm glad that we're gathered together. And I'm thankful that you made your way here and we can be present together. I'm thanking God for you. I'm thanking God for your life. And you know what else I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for this ministry director team that I get to uh, serve on here at Newcom. The story of how I got to Newcom, I'll save for a later time, but getting to serve alongside at this church, Pastor Peter, Emily, Ruth, and Cece, has been deeply humbling <laughs> and a tremendous blessing in a space that God has used to transform me. It's a treat to witness, witness each of them walking in their gifts. Pastor Peter, who is an undeniably gifted teacher and a deeply invested mentor, Emily, who has the ability to think through things in this really system-oriented way. She can put skills and resources together and make them work harmoniously like a master puzzle solver. <laughs> and then Emily, not Emily, Ruth, <laughs> who's such a fierce way of loving and speaking truth that sees and honors who you are while nurturing conviction and inspires you into action. And Cece shares in that, but he also can usher you into the presence of God unlike anybody I've ever met. <laughs> And then there's me, the busybody. <laughs> Y'all, I'm a woman of many gifts, but the most prominent of which is probably staying busy. <laughs> I can keep running errands, find things to worry about, easily occupy my time, my mental space, my emotional energy. I'll tell you a bit more about that later. But one time I was reflecting on this and how full my life felt and contemplating things I could say no to so I could make space for other things. And I was reminded of the story of Martha and Mary when Jesus came to visit. Are you familiar with that story? I'm going to tell you a bit more about it. So you can find the story in Luke. And they're in the middle of telling the story of Jesus and his disciples on their way to Jerusalem, where he ultimately would sacrifice his life. Luke tells us several stories about the stops that they made along the way and the lessons that Jesus taught. And so then we come to this story where Martha's at home, her sister Mary's there, and Jesus shows up with his, his 12 disciples. So the word says in Luke chapter 10, as Jesus and the disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by a big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Now, some of you may have had similar experiences as I have where I've heard this story in a church setting and a lot of the emphasis is put on shaming Martha for being busy and not sitting like her sister saying things like, Martha was doing too much, just like you, you need to take a time to sit down before God and, and spend time with him. Yes, and <laughs> today we're not here to shame Martha because Jesus in that moment didn't even do that. And so God doesn't need us co-signing on some shame that he didn't and never would serve up. But what we will do right now is reflect on Martha's experience in this moment with some compassion, and we'll take the time to understand what it means to see that Jesus did not shame Martha in that moment. 
and that he actually interrupted the cycle, cycle of shame. So let's back up. Martha was at home, her sister Mary was there, and who knows what an average day looked like for Martha, but she was in her house, minding her own business. She may have had some forewarning that Jesus was on his way, but that part is not super clear. Either way, she wouldn't have known exactly when Jesus was gonna show up at her door. So imagine for yourself, it's Wednesday, your kids had you up for two and a half hours last night, and now you're trying to get a grumpy baby onto virtual school. You got an appointment at 9.30. Your mom's blowing up your phone about helping her with some paperwork. Your house is a mess. Laundry needs to get done. You need to go grocery shopping. You may or may not get your workout in, and you want to do a workout at some point today. May or may not happen. Knock, knock. Who's there? Jesus <laughs> and his 12 disciples. Now, mind you, that's at least 12 thirsty, tired, probably a little funky, most of all, hungry men. So Martha drops whatever she's doing and immediately shifts into hosting mode. And after hustling away in the kitchen for a while, she finally comes to Jesus about her sister. Can't you see that she left me? Tell her to get in here and help me. These are not the words of somebody who's calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> and you recognize this moment. We've all been there, right? You're in the middle of a hectic or stressful moment and somebody caught you at the wrong time and you snapped at them. Martha's words are critical of her sister and she's feeling bothered that her sister's not helping her and she's trying to get Jesus to correct her behavior. Why do you suppose that this is what Martha chose to express in that moment? Well, let me ask you this. When you feel stressed, hectic, under pressure, what sorts of things do you say and do? especially when you feel like it's a situation that's outside of your control. You know what it's like, let's say you're working on a project with your team at work or a group assignment in class, the deadline is drawing near, and you aren't sure how you're gonna get that project completed in time, so you start experiencing some real pressure. Sometimes we start looking around at the people involved, like what is he been doing? She ain't did nothing. Whose fault is it that we're in this place right now? <laughs> I feel like I'm doing everything by myself. And let's take it further because sometimes other people are not involved. It is just you. And you end up in a situation where you're under pressure. What are you saying to yourself? What do you say about yourself? Why was I so lazy? I'm such a procrastinator. I was supposed to do better this time. I should have been more prepared. How did I drop the ball again? I'm not surprised I failed because all I do is fail and lose. It would have been nice to have some help. Why didn't I have any help? I shouldn't be doing this by myself. And well, if so-and-so hadn't interrupted me while I was working, if he would have gotten me to document sooner, we come back around and start trying to shift shame and responsibility to other people for our stress. None of these things are a kind way to talk or think about yourself or others. And oftentimes, these thoughts are rooted in shame. So why did Martha come to Jesus trying to ask for help, but in a way that was laden with shame undertones? Because Martha herself was already experiencing some shame. These shame tapes were playing, and when she opened her mouth, even to ask for help, shame flipped its way all up and through her words. And this is because when we are put under pressure, whatever is already inside of us is gonna come out. Good, bad, and ugly is coming out. 
Under pressure, what came out of Martha was a reflection of the shame that she already had on repeat. And now I know, like I mentioned, this is not a way that we're typically accustomed to thinking about this story, but come with me anyway, all right? Do we remember what shame is? Pastor Peter taught on a series called Journey Towards a True Self back at the beginning of 2019. If you weren't here yet, or maybe you've since forgotten, I definitely encourage you to go back and check that out. It's on the website still. But to recap, I'm going to share a little bit about shame and how it contrasts with guilt to make it clear. And then we'll explore a bit of its impact as well as how Jesus interrupts shame. So, borrowing from Brene Brown, guilt is focused on behavior and shame is focused on self. So guilt is, I did something bad, where shame says, I am bad. Jesus many times spoke truth and acknowledged wrong behavior, but he did not leave people under a load of condemnation. So guilt is based on fact, actually events, and it opens the door to reconciliation, where shame is rooted in lies and perceptions and often pushes us into hiding. So for example, let's say you forgot to do an important work task or a task around the house, maybe pay a bill. A response of guilt would be, I forgot to do an important task. I need to do that task as soon as possible. Maybe next time I can set a reminder to help me remember. A response from shame would be, I am so incapable of doing simple things. I don't want to show my face because I can't believe that. I'm just so bad at this. Guilt moves us to acknowledge and correct wrong behavior. And shame moves us into making accusations about who we are and the value that we carry. What does it look like for shame to influence your life? Some of the ways it commonly shows up are through symptoms that look like an ultra-success-driven, I-am-what-I-do, or productivity mindset. For some, it's an obsession with acquiring wealth or an obsession with your own beauty and attractiveness. For others, it shows up like perfectionism, which I know many of us here know pretty well. I personally have struggled with this, and I'm going to share more with you about that shortly. So there is striving, striving to do your personal best, to have healthy achievement and growth. Striving can be healthy when it's self-focused, but perfectionism is focused on others. You're more concerned with what other people think, and at the heart of perfectionism, you're working to earn people's approval and acceptance, and this leads to a mentality of, I am what I accomplish and how well I accomplish it. It's so harmful and so destructive because there is no such thing as perfect. Perfectionism, perfection is an imaginary and intangible standard, and it's all about how other people see you. So, we want to be perceived as perfect, and when we fall short, which we inevitably will, we start to evaluate how I am wrong. How can I be better? How can, and it sends us back into the cycle of trying to earn approval and prove your worth, and it never pushes you towards addressing the underlying issues that are pushing you towards perfectionism in the first place. Because of these ways that shame manifests, it kind of shades and colors, influences the way that we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we experience others regardless of our relationship with them, and consequently it impacts how we interact with other people. Think about how you've noticed shame in your life. Especially, how have you noticed how much shame impacts your decisions in the behaviors that you do? 
Also, have you noticed how your shame is impacting the people around you? The truth is, some of us are not willing to acknowledge the presence of shame in our lives. Maybe shame manifests for you by pretending like nothing ever happened in the first place, or sometimes we're so accustomed to living like this that it's hard to see another way out. Some find that it's too painful to confront the status quo, and because who wants to be uncomfortable or have awkward and hard conversations? Or worse yet, who wants to take the risk of bearing our vulnerable spots and end up feeling rejected? So then you just opt to avoid shame altogether and keep living how you've been living. Shame will keep you disconnected from community because you can't imagine a reality where forgiveness is possible. So you will let shame have you out here living in isolation, not apologizing to people, keeping you from allowing yourself to be seen, to be known, or to be loved. And that's deep deprivation. We bypass the act of reconciling with people and figure, well, God knows where I am now, so I don't need to reconcile with anybody. I don't need to go to them about the way that my shame has impacted them. Shame will have you out here thinking that you're just undeserving. And you know what? Because we avoid reconciling our shame, it will keep us distant from God, believing that we are not worthy of God's love and care. And so we stay distant and run because we don't think that we can show our face with God. Some of the shame that we carry comes from decisions that we've made, acts and behaviors that we've done. And some of it comes from situations that we were put in, events that may or may not have been within our control. So sometimes that shame comes with a side of anger because it just feels so unfair that we were put in this situation or that these things happened to you. And so you keep paying the price, and sometimes the people around you pay the price with you. So I'm going to keep it real, right? Shame has captivated me to this day. I have wrestled to understand my worth and value or to trust and believe that I am worth anything to God. Why? Well, in the context of understanding guilt as I did bad and shame being I am bad, I've grown up and have lived my life in a society where, since before I could understand, I've gotten this message that in some very key things about the way that I was designed, I'm undesirable and wrong. So consequently, I understood that who I am is bad. The color of my skin, the coily, kinky texture of my hair, my curvy body type, it all needed to be covered if it couldn't be corrected. And if I am bad and worthless for all the ways that I was designed, the only way for me to attain any value was to be perfect in any and every way that seemed like it was within my control. There's been this underlying theme of if I'm not going to be the best at whatever I'm doing, then I shouldn't be doing it at all. The perfect student, the perfect employee, the perfect daughter and friend, and to be perfect in relationship meant people pleasing until it ran me into the ground, only focusing on what I could give people and giving them what they want, never having any identifiable needs of my own, never disagreeing too much. Which means I've been in some trash relationships, y'all. I've spent years and will continue to spend time unlearning this lie that my value only exists under the gaze of other people. 
that if I don't provoke awe or impress, that I must be doing something wrong. There have been times that I have longed for the validation of others in an unhealthy way because I wanted to be right. I needed the moment to feel like I am good. So yes, I'm a recovering busybody, and a lot of this is why. And because I've been so caught up in what anyone else thinks, likes, wants, or believes to be correct, I've drowned out my own voice. Sometimes without the validation of others, I feel lost because for so long, what other people thought was right was the only thing that mattered. So now in my 30s, I'm working on identifying my voice because for so long, it was easier to be silent and agreeable, afraid to open my mouth or upset the peace. And in losing my voice, I've wrestled with whether God has anything of value to say or do through me or in me. So that's why even in preparing to share these things with you today, I've struggled to this day and I have a hard time embracing this truth and staying in a place where day to day I'm grounded and reminded in who I truly am and where my value originates from. This is the truth about who I am. I am a child of God. That means that I am his beloved daughter. And that means that all this truth about how oppressive our culture and society is, Jesus canceled all of that. And while for as long as I live, I'll continue to encounter the pressure, I know that the weight of it will not triumph over me, nor will it triumph over you. So listen, and you're going to hear me say this a couple times today. God cared so much that he knew in 2021 you would struggle with the impact of shame in your life. And see, he has so much value in who he created you to be, not just of what he assigned you to do, but he delights in the essence of who you are. And he didn't want all the shame to get in the way of you living into the fullness of who he has called you to be and showing up fully in community. He knows you. He knows who you are. He knew that he could tell you over and over again that he cares for you. He could shower you with love, provide for all your needs, resolve your troubles. He knew that he could have Jesus be the example and the proof of how powerful God is in the physical and in the spiritual realm. Do miracle after miracle through Jesus, heal people, cast out demons, do all these things. And even in that, he knew that you still wouldn't understand how important you are to him and how deep his love is for you. Or maybe we might understand for a moment but in our human nature, we quickly forget the depth of his love in this truth. He knew it would take Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice that any human can make to give up your life because you would struggle to embrace the power of this truth unless we understood the power and significance of the sacrifice that was made. Think about it. For what cause would you sacrifice your life? We can get desensitized to hearing the phrases, Jesus died, Jesus died for our sins, Jesus died so that we would have life and life more abundantly. But quite literally, that's what he did. Because he understood that you in 2020 would have such a hard time believing and understanding that God so deeply cares about the things that hold you back from living freely. Jesus cares so much that he said, oh, my life, I promise you, God cares. And I'm already made that sacrifice. So when you have that question, does my life matter? Yes. Do I have any worth and significance? Yes. 
I'm tired of feeling like I have to hustle for my worth. You don't have to. You are my beloved child. Go and live freely. Jesus made this sacrifice, and he did it for all of us in all the ways that shame manifests in our lives. Jesus, with his sacrifice, interrupted the shame cycle if we choose to believe and accept it. Even before his sacrifice, he interrupted shame on an individual and personal level. Look at the way that he interrupted shame for Martha and for Mary. We left off. Martha was coming to Jesus. Can't you see that she left me? Tell her to come and help me. And notice Jesus' response. The Lord said, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. In a brief moment, Jesus interrupted the shame for each of the sisters. First, Martha spoke with this critical tone about her sister, and Jesus interrupted that. And he did so with compassion and truth, calling her by name and through relationship. He said, Martha, my dear friend, not you lazy, unprepared woman. <laughs> he said, Martha, my dear friend, I see that you are worried about many things. He acknowledged how she was feeling in that moment and what, was ex what she was experiencing. He didn't disregard or downplay her reality. With compassion, he acknowledged what was impacting her. That is a gift that is not exclusively reserved for Martha. God will do that for you too. He's done it for me. I kid you not, this week I was talking to Ruth and Emily on Tuesday, and I finally shared with them that I am both excited and terrified to be doing this sermon. <laughs> I had prayed to God, Lord, give me a word, show me what to do. Did I hear you correctly? Is this what you said? But when I finally said, God, I am that's when the next steps of reconciling my shame with God began to happen. Right there and then, Jesus interrupted my shame. Acknowledging my fear with God forced me to acknowledge the source of it. I had been so afraid to mess this up, to be less than perfect. What would people think if I don't do this right? My theology is flawed or whatever. They wouldn't let me do it again. Nobody would trust me as a leader in this church. All these lies about what could go wrong that ultimately are not even the focus right now. Acknowledging my fear with God forced me to see that. And remembering Jesus' words, child, you are worried about many things, and indeed only one thing is needed. Just remind everyone how much and how deeply I love them. You don't need to perform. It's not about how good or bad you do, because your worth has already been determined. You are my beloved child. That's all that matters. So, Jesus acknowledged Martha with compassion and what she was feeling in that moment. In the next breath, he validated and affirmed Mary's actions to the person who spoke about her from a place of shame. He said, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus interrupted shame again here as he affirmed Mary 
and her choice and closes the door that was open for him to reprimand her. Another gift that's not exclusively reserved for one of these sisters. My dear friend, do you know that you are loved by a God who will choose to look the source of your shame in the face and choose to affirm you? Do you know that you're loved by a friend who will look the source of your shame in the face and speak truth about who you are? Shame will keep you buried, hidden, masked up, trying to show only your best sides. And Jesus will stand between you and your shame and say, yes, that happened. And this is my beloved child. Oh, but shame is so familiar, and sometimes it's easier to lay down and give up among the echoes of shame because you've been in this chamber of lies for so long. You don't even know what anything else sounds like. This is what truth sounds like, and I want you to take this literally. It's Ephesians chapter 2. You were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us with Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. He saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus, so we can go and do the good things he planned for us long ago. When God raised Jesus from the dead 2,021 years ago, he knew the secrets that you're holding right now and that shame would be holding you back from living in the fullness of who he designed you to be. He knew that he needed to offer you a path that would lead you out of shame and into freedom. The word says, God saved you by grace when you believed. Will you choose today to believe? Some of us are busy getting ready for God, but the word says salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So can you choose today to embrace the truth that Jesus would rather you come and sit and talk with him instead of staying busy in another room convincing yourself that you're getting ready for him? Listen, if you want to make this choice to choose to believe this truth today, I got some suggestions for you, ways that you can move forward and walk in that. I encourage you, get in the presence of the interrupter. Embrace and accept the reality of who you are and the things that you carry. Choose to believe the truth about Jesus' sacrifice for you and do these things in community. Did you catch all that? I'm going to say it again. Get in the presence of the interrupter. Embrace and accept the reality of who you are and the things that you carry. Choose to believe the truth about Jesus' sacrifice for you and do these things in community.
you notice it's quite a few action words here. <laughs> Faith without works is dead. So no, you don't have to work for your salvation, but you do have to put in some effort for your healing because oftentimes it involves actively embracing the truth and intentionally unlearning the lies. The journey is typically neither quick nor passive. This is a choice that requires relationship. The only way that Jesus can interrupt your shame to compassionately acknowledge with you your reality is if you intentionally take time to get in his presence. And that happens through prayer. We've been in this season of exercising defiant faith, especially during Lent. We've been intentional about living prayerfully, taking courageous steps to experience God. You can start today and be courageous. If that means that you take five minutes to talk to God about the things that you know he sees that you ain't said nothing to him about, the things that generate fear, tension, anger inside of you, things that you aren't sure you should be taking pride in anymore, acknowledging these things and the, the, acknowledging these thoughts and feelings with the interrupter is the first step in putting a stop to allowing this stuff to hold you captive. It's the first step in choosing to believe that God has already given you freedom from these things. This is your creator with whom you are fully known, deeply loved, and entirely accepted. You are safe in his arms. Good, bad, and ugly, he still calls you his own. Get in the presence of the interrupter, the one who speaks truth, the one who determined your value before you began your existence. <sighs> Moving forward, as you begin to celebrate the fact that God loves and accepts you no matter what, you need to accept and embrace who you are and show up in your, in, you need to accept and embrace who you are and how shame shows up in your life. You need to accept yourself. We cannot interrupt shame in our lives if we don't actively acknowledge it. Personally, I can't really think of a time where choosing to ignore a personal problem made it work out for the better. <laughs> Third, one more time. He already knew how much you meant to him 2,021 years ago. Jesus so values who you are. He believes that you are so worthy of love that he was willing to sacrifice his life just to make the point of how true and serious God is about your access to a life lived in the fullness of who he designed you to be. Amen. Finally, remember, as we say, that the way of Christ cannot be lived alone. The word says in Galatians, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Listen, I already told y'all up top how much I love my team and how much I love getting to serve at this church. But when you talk about iron sharpening iron, loving accountability, friends who show sincere love, don't judge or shame, but who have challenged me to pursue healing, to change behaviors, have been willing to walk with me or mentor me in the process. It's meant everything. It's been truly transformative. In the ways that I have grown and experienced healing over this past year, 
I suspect would be drastically different or significantly less progressed if not for this village. I love y'all, thank you. <laughs> so community can be trusted friends, family members, mentors, or even a therapist. A what? A therapist, get you one. Community is purposeful for multiple reasons when you're working to interrupt shame and heal. A few examples, the road to healing can be rough. So sometimes you need folks with you who are gonna help you stay encouraged. Sometimes your role in interrupting your shame will be to name the things that you feel shame about out loud because that which is unspoken can loom over you and make you feel trapped. So sometimes we have to name it out loud and revoke its power and you need safe people to do that with. Community will help give us this extra push if there's a hard conversation that we need to have and we don't want to do it. And sometimes it's reciprocal. Um, when you're in community, community, sometimes you get to do these roles for other people as well. God calls us to live in community and this is key. God can place people around you to speak truth over you and more importantly, continue to point you back to him. Friends, get in the presence of the interrupter. Embrace and accept the reality of who you are and the things you carry. Choose to believe the truth about Jesus' sacrifice for you and do these things in community. Shame will keep us suffering in silence. But we are God's beloved children. We live in freedom and when we choose to believe that, we choose to allow Jesus to interrupt the power of shame in our lives and embrace God's truth instead. God saved you by grace when you believe. Will you choose today to receive the freedom gifted to you by the interrupter? Come on and pray with me. Hmm. Abba, Father, the great interrupter, God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are so loving, ever-present, unconditional, steadfast, Lord. You don't withhold love from us, and we thank you, God. Lord, today we thank you that you are willing to stand in the gap, to call out lies, and to speak truth that you're willing to have us be in a community of people who care for us, who love us, and that you cared so much 2,021 years ago, God, about our freedom today, that you were willing to make such a significant sacrifice. God, we know that this journey can be scary, that it's hard to step into acknowledging the truth about who we are, about the things that hurt us, some of these things, these burdens we've carried for many years, we've never said them aloud. We rarely acknowledge their presence, but we always feel them. So Lord, we thank you today that you're willing to hold those with us. God, we thank you today that we are free from the weight of those things. God, we thank you that you care more about our healing than we care about ourselves. God, today some of us need courage to enter into this space. Courage to acknowledge the things that hurt. And today, Lord, I ask for that courage for us. I ask for that wisdom that we need 
as we approach a healing journey. God, we thank you for your love. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.